Hello and welcome to What's the Big Deal About Greenville, the podcast that spotlights movers and shakers in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm your host, Bill Kammer. In today's episode, I sat down with Steve Hall. Steve is the Vice President of Business Development and Senior Talent Consultant at Fine Great People. He talks about how he started off in recruiting, which at the time was called headhunting. He talks about what he's learned over the years and how the job market has changed. This interview is packed with good information, and I hope you enjoy it. My pleasure, Bill. Appreciate the invite. I like to start off each of the interviews with just uh, who you are and what your journey's been. So if you could share with us that, that would be, that would be fantastic. Well, uh, my family originates from Pittsburgh, uh, but we moved to Greenville back in the early to mid-70s. And so I've been in Greenville for about 46, 47 years my, Gr- grown up here, and, and uh, things have changed. That's great. My mom's from uh, Uniontown. In like, Pennsylvania, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right, right outside of Pittsburgh, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm familiar with that. Go Steelers, right? <laughs> so, how did you end up? Did you go into find great people right after, or what? It, it was what was it? Phillips, Phillips International, Phil, Phillips International before. Um, so, when you left college, is that something that you went right into, or was there was there a transition period there? Or? Yeah, it's kind of a, a strange story, Bill. So I was sitting in a math of finance class in my senior year in college, and a classmate came up to me. She asked me if I had been interviewing. I was in the spring semester of my senior year, and so I was going to graduate in December. And so I just politely said, no, I, I haven't started yet. I'm, I'm going to finish in the fall. And she said, well, she said, uh, do, you, do you think you know what you're going to do? And I said, well, I'm a, a marketing and sales major. I'm going to go into sales. And so she said, hey, I was in the library a couple of days ago, and I read an article in Business Week. Uh, it was a career that I think you might be interested in. And I said, well, what's that? And she said, well, have you ever heard of headhunting? And I said, no, <laughs> never, never heard of headhunting. What is Only that? in the negative side. Right, right. Not, not the cannibal right, right. component. <laughs> And she said, well, she said, listen, uh, why don't you just go read the article? And so after a couple classes, went to the library on campus, found the magazine, started reading, and it just captured my attention. It was talking about uh, a headhunter in Chicago in the article. And, uh, you know, it kind of indicated all the things that growing up I was taught were not supposed to be after, you know, power, status, greed. Mm. Uh, So it it caught my attention for the wrong reasons, but what really caught my attention was the fact that that headhunter had the the ability, the power, the the clout to make a phone call into the chairman of the board of General Motors and get him off the phone or out of a meeting. And so that just intrigued me. Um, so from there, uh, one of my friends in college had a friend who had already graduated and moved to California. Mm-hmm. He was in Bel Air. His name is Greg Hunt. He still is headhunting today. And we talked about the business. And so I had a, a, an article and I had a 30-minute long-distance phone call uh, with Greg that, that really just kind of crystallized, I think I want to do this. And to shorten the story, um, I heard about a gentleman named Walter Phillips in Greenville and that he was a headhunter, and someone said, here's his contact information, maybe you should just call and talk with him. Mm-hmm. And so I put a call in, 
explained that I was a, a senior in college, interested in the headhunting business. Uh, his assistant said he won't talk to me. <laughs> uh, he, he was not interested in talking to me. And back in, in the 80s, when I started, we didn't hire people out of college. Um, but I persisted, got a meeting for the next day, and he asked me to show up at 5 o'clock at his office, and he would give me 15 minutes. And so I did. Um, wow. I walked into his office. He asked me one question. He just said, what do you know about what I do? We didn't have the internet back then, so I couldn't yeah. Google anything. So I gave him about a 15-minute overview of what I knew, and that impressed him enough to where we had a couple of interviews. And so I started there in college as a senior in college, and um, I'm, I'm fortunate to say I'm, I'm still there 31 years later. Wow, that's fantastic. Like, what did you... Okay, one of the follow-up questions I had for that is, uh, how does a person that's fresh out of college start in recruiting? Like... It just seems like you would need to know. You would need to know about the job market yeah. before you could do the recruiting for the job market. How did that work? Yeah, so that was the biggest barrier that he had. Um, I'll just tell you that when I went to uh, conferences, trade conferences, headhunting trade conferences to learn the craft. By far, I was the youngest person in any of those rooms. Mm -hmm. It just was so unusual back in that time period. Today, if you look at the 70 associates that are in our firm, mm -hmm. about 50 of those would be in the, the millennial generation, one or two or three years out of college. And so things have shifted remarkably. Mm -hmm. right. And technology really kind of leveled the playing field. When I started, um, the challenge was I didn't know anybody um, typically, you would be hired in your late 30s, early 40s, and into your 50s because you had built up a network of people. We get paid for who we know more than what we know. Right. And back in those days, it was a phone business, a hard copy resume business, and a classified ad business. Hmm. And so I made my living by calling into companies by phone. And so I just persisted uh, at it. He put me in the information technology space. And um, things just sort of took off from there. That's that's awesome. I, 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 what I've seen with real estate is there's been kind of a resurgence of picking up the phone, calling a person, you know, because we've gotten such a proliferation of just tech and texts and emails and people tend to tune it out. Right. So when you when you pick up the phone and actually call somebody, you get one of two reactions that I've seen. Either somebody's like, whoa, you called me. Hmm. Or it's, I don't know how to deal with a person on the other end of the phone. And it's almost like it's an adversarial thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, I just got to, whatever I need to do to get off the phone right now. And hopefully I cannot be rude, but <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, I, re I really feel like that's a lost art is mm -hmm. having the conversation and mm -hmm. calling people and, uh, letting them know what your business is without feeling like you're stealing their time. Mm -hmm. um, you had uh, what is something that you wish you would have known when you first started that may have may have helped you? Well, looking back, okay, that's a lot easier today to look sure. back and reflect over thirty plus years. Things have changed over the years. Not only has the technology changed, the way in which we uh, build relationships has changed. I was in a, a, a meeting, as I was telling you about earlier last night, and uh, somebody mentioned, well, I sent you a Facebook message. And I said, 
Hey, listen, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't look at Facebook. And they, they kind of gave me a grin, and I said, "Now, if you were on LinkedIn, I hover over that all day, mm-hmm. every day." Okay. And that's because of the profession that I'm in. Right. But when the recession hit of uh, 2009, in particular, we used to be all over the United States and in portions of Latin America mm-hmm. in terms of our client base. All of a sudden, the world shrank down to about a two to three hour driving radius. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what we do today in business development, a lot of what I do is really all about relation development mm-hmm. or relationship development. And, and that sometimes gets started through a LinkedIn message. Sometimes that gets started through an email. Rarely does it get started over the phone. Eventually mm-hmm. it leads to the phone. But all my introductions are, are today are almost all through people that I meet, mm-hmm. such as yourself. Yeah. yeah, you know, I'll figure out a way to to figure out who you're connected to, and if you're who you should be and who I think you are, you'll be willing to say, "Let me make that introduction." Yeah, and I absolutely. I did that for a, a banker just the other day. Mm-hmm. I made an introduction to a business broker the other day. So. I make my living off of helping other people get what they need, and eventually that comes back to me. Yeah, it's similar. Similar with my business. You know, you just want to try and network as much as you possibly can, mm-hmm. um, meet as many people as possible, and eventually the business comes. Mm-hmm. Um, you had you had mentioned in your bio on the Fine Great People website that you're a CPC or Certified Personnel Consultant. Mm-hmm. Now, what is what's what's that cert- certification? Um, so that for years and years has been the single designation for the headhunting industry on the headhunting or permanent hire or direct hire side. You have you have contract staffing and you have direct hire, uh, someone who's going to be a W two employee of our client. So back in 1994, I sat for the exam and and passed that. Um, I don't hear a lot of people talk about it as much anymore. I'm not sure that it carries the weight that it did back in the day. But um, I can say that I'm certified uh, in this industry, which covers employment law. Right. And it also, just like in real estate, it would cover mm-hmm. a lot of the fundamentals of right. the regulatory. Yes. And then it also will test uh, your knowledge on what will be considered the best practices of the industry. And okay. so I had to go to Columbia and sit and by pencil take uh, that wow. exam. <laughs> what was, okay, so what's the process of, so... A company will approach fine great people and say, we have, you know, a new factory or we have a new office that we're trying to staff. Is that how it works? Or they'll just say, here's our needs. And then you try and you'll have an agreement with them to accommodate that. Yeah. So um, as an example, just this week, I had a a gentleman out of Florida, the CEO of a small uh, investment firm. He sent an email in through our company website. I get copied on that because of my role and he just simply said I'm expanding and want to put an office in Atlanta and need to find some talent can we talk and so he and I had a conversation for about 15 minutes yesterday he just wanted to know who we were what we did how it worked Um, so that's an example of how that might work Um, oddly enough we got a phone call from Norway yesterday um, first, we got an email. We responded in within minutes to that email. That's something that, that I'm very passionate about yes. is quick response. And 
the uh, this is a, a board director for a nonprofit. That's one of the many areas we focus on. He's on a board in Florida, or excuse me, in, uh, the, the nonprofit is in Virginia, mm-hmm. um, and the executive director is ready to retire. And so, uh, this gentleman from Norway um, said, "Hey, I'll handle the search process and come back to the board." And so we spent. 30 minutes, I think it was, on the phone with him from Norway talking mm-hmm. about the need and who we were and what we do. That's one way that this happens, but the rest of it is we've got business development team members. We have individual uh, search consultants and headhunters that also go after their own business. And so, mm-hmm. as I said, as I go back to your question about what would, what would maybe I have done differently or, mm-hmm. or what has changed, yeah. it's the relationship component. Back then, I needed to know people because that's the only way I had was over the phone. Nowadays, the relationship component is from every possible direction that you can think of, whether it's your community, your church, associations, the gym, Mm -hmm. the coffee shops. I mean, it's really remarkable. Do you think that's a cultural shift that we've had, just away from kind of the... and, And that's something I hear a lot is like, is it... I think people have gone away from maybe like the straight marketing, you know, like I'm being advertised to, I'm trying, people are trying to get something from me to I'm a genuine person who actually cares about what you, you know, your well being and part of my business is helping you with that. I mean, do you think, do you think that's a cultural change? I do think it's a cultural change. Um, now what's, what's going to be interesting going forward. Um, I don't know how much you keep up on the stats of workforce, but starting this year, 2020, uh, 50% of the U.S. workforce is going to be made up of the millennial generation. Mm. In five short years, 2025, they estimate between 70 and 80% of the workforce is going to be millennial and the start of the Gen Zs. Mm. And then in 10 short years, in 2030, um, it's going to be closer to 90%. Hmm. What I don't know yet is the habits of those two generations in the communication vehicles and styles that they grow up with, mm-hmm. how that is going to impact business going forward. Hmm. So uh, companies, in my view, organizations are not preparing very well for how to retain and develop young talent because all of a sudden we're in the midst of this seismic shift demographically. Um, there are more millennials, uh, at least in the United States, there are more millennials than there ever had been of the baby boom generation. Hmm. Demographically, the numbers are just staggering. So that comes down to office space, that comes down to cube versus office, that comes down to working in coffee shop versus being in the office. There's just chairs, tables, computers. Everything is going to, I think, going to shift in ways that my generation as an X is is just not going to be used to. And the question is, how will we adjust? I I I think it's the the remote the remote workplace Mm -hmm. that that I just see all the time and see this is the first you know as I, I was an educator before real estate so. You had to go to a building, you sit, you right. talk to the students. Uh, and then I came to this one where it's not necessarily um, it's not necessarily required that I come into the office, but there's this pressure. 
Hmm. You know, that you need to, you need to come in, you need to be present. It is a relational business. And so you want to make sure that you're, you know, you're not like a ghost. Right. You know, it's like, oh yeah, he works remote, which he may or may not exist. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but that's, uh, yeah, that's definitely something I'm experiencing. And it was, it was weird to make the transition because it's like education was one of the most structured things Mm -hmm. that you could possibly do. I mean, everything's on a bell system, Mm -hmm. like old factory model. And then you, uh, and then I come here and it's, it's freeing, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you're on, it's high energy because you have to, you have to make your schedule and I've, I've enjoyed it, but it's, it's totally different 180. Yeah. So in the case of your business and my business, it's really a sales business Mm -hmm. and and I don't want people to think the dark negative side of sales. We, We know people who maybe live in that world. I get emails and phone calls constantly each week just simply because of my title and I had one yesterday where it was the second or third email I had gotten from this lady in New York um, complaining that I have not responded to her sales outreach yeah. and so the frustration of that of that side of sales is is really disappointing however today if you're in a profession where you're not tethered, say, to a production line in manufacturing mm-hmm. or in healthcare where you need to be saddled with the patient right. hip to hip or whatever profession might lend itself to that, um, the freedom that comes with it is always counterbalanced by the output, the performance. That is correct. And so I will tell you that even in our firm, I would be seen as old school probably in many different ways, though I keep up with technology and things such as that. But just the other day I was having a conversation with a couple teammates and the old fashioned approach of metrics and measurement of your performance of your daily activities leads to the outcome, the output that we're after. And if you sacrifice that because you're not disciplined, well then guess what? You may not be on the team for long. And not only that, it might be more helpful if you're present more than you're not present. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until you've reached the level to where you've earned that trust. Right. And as long as you keep the production and the quality going, there's freedom in that. Right. No, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, my next question was, how has the job market changed since you began your career? So we talked a little <laughs> bit about, like, what was uh, when you started back in the 80s. I'm sure it was much, much different than the Internet hit. Yeah. And so what... How how has it evolved? I mean, oh, I, I'm sure you could talk about this for hours, but it, but it's for somebody for somebody who hasn't lived like I've lived in the between us, we're we're different in our stations in life, mm-hmm. as we talked earlier. Um, I was having a conversation with a gentleman yesterday who's I think he's going to be turning 38, so he's on the front edge of that millennial generation, and he was. When he heard about my 31 years at the firm, he said, uh, so you were around when they had filing cabinets. And I oh, said, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We had to, have, you know, if we were going to move to a new office space, we had to have enough office space to incorporate filing cabinets because everything was paper. Um, classified ads was heavily used in the general industry. We didn't do much of it, but heavily used in the industry back then. Today, it's a job posting. 
But I try to explain to people when I have the opportunity to be a guest speaker that the only thing that's different is the medium. It's still a help-wanted sign in the window. And the way in which we attract talent today because of the full employment market, Mm -hmm. a help-wanted sign really isn't effective. I was at the cleaners, the dry cleaners, two or three days ago, and I pulled up to the front window and I saw a help wanted sign in the window. And I literally took a picture of it on my phone because it's like, oh my word. Like an antique. I haven't seen that. <laughs> and, and, and then my other thought was, even though they're great people, I just thought, unless somebody truly happens to just walk by. Right. And that's the same thing for a job posting. Mm. So the technology changed and revolutionized how we do things in so many ways in my business. I remember when Monster.com's first ad hit during a Super Bowl years Mm -hmm. ago, and I literally panicked because I thought, this is going to be the end of my profession. Mm -hmm. And here we are so many years later, and I rarely hear the word monster mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so these things go through evolutionary changes, and you adapt and you adjust. You embrace what of it you can but the fundamentals are still the same. People are going to hire people. Uh, robots are not going to hire people. Mm-hmm. And it's still a people business. Right. One, um, one thing uh, that I would teach um, about history, you know, you always, get the, you always get the question from the student, which is, what is why, why do we have to learn this? Right. Why do we have to learn history? And the, what you say is exactly the reason. Uh, because people don't change, the circumstances that the people operate in change, mm-hmm. but the but the people, the fundamental things that motivate people, those don't change. Right, and it's the same as it was in ancient Greece as it is today. It's just they communicate in different ways yeah. and they interact in different ways. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to students about preparing for a job? So mm-hmm. somebody who's in college, maybe maybe it isn't college bound, maybe gonna get a high school diploma and then they're looking to jump right in what what advice would you give to them well you know let's talk about the the upstate of south carolina and in particular greenville county because that's where you and i sit today but throughout the entire upstate region uh, for those who finish high school but don't really feel the need desire or maybe even don't have the competency Mm -hmm. capabilities to go pursue a college degree mm-hmm. some some that would be true of not all but but some that would be true of sure. there is an amazing amount of opportunity for them to live a quality life um, if they pursue a skilled trade and mm-hmm. so um, I'm on the Greenville Tech Foundation board I'm very proud of that college it's it's the biggest and best in the state of South Carolina we just rolled out for the first time, we're going to be offering bachelor's degrees in a couple areas mm-hmm. um, that was approved by the state legislature. So, so many great things are happening. There are 11,000 students coming through that particular school wow. system. And in particular, the manufacturing base has benefited greatly in our region because of the training that goes on through the mm-hmm. community and technical college system. So, there's there's an, there's an abundance of opportunity for, for someone who doesn't feel the need to go to college. Um, when you talk about those who go into college and they're pursuing higher education for the, the academic-oriented professions, the engineering, the accounting, finance, the technology, the healthcare, and the list rolls on, mm-hmm. 
what I and, and I do get the opportunity to, to speak in colleges um, as we're heading into the, the graduation period, I'll probably be getting calls each year. The number one thing that I try to stress to them is that they have to pursue relationship development, networking. Goes back to what we talked about earlier. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. I get LinkedIn invite requests from high school students now. If I see They're a junior into... high student, I'm going to have to right. decline that because <laughs> I just feel like that's going too far. Right. But um, some of these young people are, are really, really catching on to the fact that it's who they know in addition to what little bit that they know. However, I balance that with the thought that up till this year, you know, looking back over recent years, the challenges of hiring um, students out of college is that they're not prepared for the communication side of that relationship component. Um, they will text and email, but they won't come walk down the hall to my yep. office and say, can we talk? That's right. Um, yep. They'll be irritated, frustrated, annoyed, and even mad, and I'd never know it. Mm-hmm. But they'll tell the rest of their peers about it. Right. I might hear about it through the grapevine. Yep. <laughs> and now we've created triangulation. Yep. We, we haven't solved a thing. Um, they've created a story in their head that what I said or what I did is for the purposes that they concluded. But they've never actually come and said, can you tell me about that? Right. So that's an area that constantly is talked about in uh, my conversations. I have... Major clients, multi-billion dollar manufacturing clients in the region, for example, their senior HR leadership will tell you that their biggest struggle, besides finding the talent, is getting the talent to show up on time. Hmm. Uh, For them, they're happy if you're 30 minutes late. Hmm. That to me is just remarkable. So we've been, in the upstate, we've been trying to help the educators understand that the soft skills is an area that has to be dealt with. Absolutely. Um, so that that's kind of in the mix, um, but the networking balanced with the being able to talk, raise your hand, let's mm-hmm. carry on a conversation, let me tell you how I feel about it, let me ask you how you feel about right, it, yeah. let me not assume that your motives are impure in any way until I hear the explanation of it, and then how do we work through whatever conflict there is, uh, that really could be... I think that could be stressed even more in our, our colleges. What we're seeing in terms of predictions about the next generation, the Gen Z, basically anyone 22 and under, mm-hmm. uh, most of them have never lived a day in their life outside the mother's womb without having an electronic device in their hands. Yep. But... They've lived through the recession, the Great Recession of 08, 09, and 10. And so they are much more risk-adverse. They're more conservative in how they see the world economically, Mm -hmm. is what we're sensing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it remains to be seen. Um, But they've lived through hardship with their families economically, and, and so the way in which they look at life and look at work seems to be starting to give us an impression that they're going to be, the pendulum is going to be reverting back to a little bit more of a normalization of strong work ethic. Mm-hmm. I hope that's true. Yeah, me too. That'd be great. Um, and then the last thing on the, on the college grads, more recent, um, 
the word entitlement is so overused. What a, what a horrible thing that we would make that such a, a negative stereotype in our society. However, um, many of them come out graduating expecting um, an inordinate amount of compensation for their abilities. Mm-hmm. They expect titles, and they don't necessarily want to put in the effort or the time. In other words, at 5 o'clock, that's my time, and I'm gone. Mm-hmm. So those are some things that we're still working through right. and um, interested to see if the, the next generation, Gen Z, will be a different group of people. I wonder, um, and I talked about this with the previous interview, um, the, what, for lack of a better word, the gamification of employment, um, the idea that you can, everything's just a system of algorithms, you know, and, 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 and since they live in a technological world, mm-hmm. you know, with the devices, mm-hmm. they can think that, oh, well, okay, I really like to play Candy Crush. <laughs> and it's not because I like to play Candy Crush. It's because the, de- the programmers and developers of Candy Crush have gamified it in such a way that I cannot help myself. I will, I am going to be compelled to play this game when it's put in front of me. Mm-hmm. And there is some truth to that. But it also plants the seeds in these these young these younger employees that I just have to figure out how to gamify my employment. And part of that would be maybe getting a title. Okay, I need to have my little achievement. Mm-hmm. You know, and if I can get that, then that's gonna equal, you know, a higher score. Mm-hmm. And so I I wonder if that like game mechanics and that has actually kind of been embedded in the millennial culture. I haven't thought of and, it. Um, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. But that, yeah, that's what I, I... I'm just seeing that. I'm wondering if there's some truth to that. I haven't thought of it from that angle. That's a, that's a new thought, a new, a, a new side to look at that. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. And I'm, I'm fortunate to say uh, I have a niece and a nephew who mm-hmm. both work in our business. Um, so you're talking about anywhere from 24 to 26 years of age. I have definitely not seen that behavior now since you know who my sister is. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can, we can both agree that they're, they're, they grew up under great parenting. I'm sure, yeah, that, and that makes a difference it for does. sure. It does. However, um, I haven't seen that aspect or for that maybe fundamental reason. Um, I just think that generally speaking... Um, the generation of parents that brought children up in that millennial stage, which I guess would be my generation, Mm -hmm. um, we just wanted them to to have a great experience at everything they did, such that even if they didn't achieve, they're going to feel like they did. And so I do think that that has um, been a, a counterweight on our society that hasn't been the most productive way Mm-hmm. For for younger people to be raised, the pendulum swing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what unique skills do you think you you bring to the table that have helped you be successful? Oh wow. Well, listen. I mean, we're both people of faith, so nothing mm-hmm. that I've achieved is on my own. So we'll give the Lord credit for that. Yeah. Um, I can tell you that I didn't graduate with the highest grades. Um, I'm not the most studious, and I wasn't back then, um, and I'm not today. Um, and yet, with God's blessing, I think 
the fact that he's given me the ability to persist because days are not all filled with uh, positive outcomes. Uh, there are trials and tribulations, whether it's your business, whether it's your home, whether it's your health, I mean, relationships, it really doesn't matter. So I've lived through three recessions in my career at FGP, and those weren't one year and done. They were right. multi-year. Yeah. And I've experienced the highs of what we're going through right now. I mean, this is just unbelievable. Best ever uh, in my 30-something years. 2017 was our best ever year in Fantastic. 37 years as a company. But I've also seen my income plummet during uh, a couple of these recessions mm -hmm. and have had to just really struggle with I don't want to go to work today, you know, yeah. um, or I don't see anything, no sales. I don't see them coming down the pipe. Um, so the constant willingness to keep learning and educating Mr. Phillips, when he hired me, the founder of our firm, he was a constant educator of himself and his mm -hmm. abilities. Mm -hmm. I refer to that as learning your craft, being yes, really yes. good at your craft. You're in real estate. And so you want to be technically proficient on the best practice side. But you want to learn and grow 30 years from now. You want to be the guy that people want to talk to about all things related to real estate. Absolutely. Because you have willingly said, I've never heard that. I've never done that. Maybe, let me try that. Or I've actually done it this way for years. And listening to you tell me to do it another way confirms in my mind the way I am doing it actually is best for me. Mm -hmm. So that persistence and drive to be better has served me well. Frankly, uh, being at the same organization for 31 years, I was with a client in Charlotte last week and uh, we were just getting to know one another. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned the 31 years and he looked at me and he just said, you're weird. That's not typical. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I tend to agree with him. I mean, not in a bad way, but it's like, that's, uh, right. that's not typical. No, that's true. And that's a sad thing. But if people were to ask me, well, Look at what you have given up by not making those changes, the things you didn't learn. Mm -hmm. And I just sort of smile and say, you don't understand. Um, I have interviewed over those years, and I'm, I don't hide that from anybody because people have come and asked me to interview. But every time I compare and contrast to my, to my environment, I say, I have the better option. Mm -hmm. And so I kept going. And then our firm has just grown so significantly over those years that my career has actually taken phases of growth in the process. Mm -hmm. But there is an amazing amount of comfort. I think about this often, how cool it is that 20 years ago, I was afraid that I didn't know anything. And today, in my industry, I know a fair amount. Wow. And it's comforting. Yeah. And experience, there's something to be said for experience. I think that, um, you know, the more you do something, like, I think, I think of the example of Toyota. Like um, Toyota came over and borrowed a lot of from bought, borrowed a lot from Henry Ford when they were first starting out, mm -hmm. um, and then they, they developed like lean manufacturing. Mm -hmm. Which, uh, if if you're not familiar with that, lean manufacturing is the best I understand it is that you can um, like anybody on the work line can uh, can stop there can stop the line if they notice that there's a problem, mm -hmm. and so. Um, and that constantly refines the um, the process. So, 
here in America, we tend to want to hit a home run every time. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you see a new car come off the line, they it's like we've got to completely change it. We've got to have a new engine. We've got to have a new body style, and it's got to be hip and cool and new. Mm-hmm. And whereas with Toyota, you'll see they might change a few little things on the on the uh, like the on the body style, but the actual frame underneath just keeps getting refined and refined and refined, and that's why you end up with these very reliable cars. Right. Um, when when they first came out, they were they were kind of a joke, but over time they've refined that, and so here it is, you know here we are fifty years later, and they're like you know they're they're like the gold standard for a reliable car. Right. Um, and the same thing's true with people too. You stay in you stay in something and do it over, and you constantly refine and get mm-hmm. the, you know, and have the and, and have that kind of a, a purifying process that takes place, and eventually become the expert in the field. And so that's why experience is valuable. Yes, I mean, I with with the younger team members of our, of our company, I try to stress to them, if just because you're not hitting success today does not give you the right to say, well, I need to go do something else. Mm-hmm. Maybe you actually need to perfect and accomplish and then decide should I should I go do something else mm-hmm. when when we hire in our own firm we're looking for overcomers along with overachievers right so if you've never actually had hardship and worked through it long mm-hmm. enough to come yeah. out on the other end yeah. and so that's what uh, my tenure has enabled me to do and I'm preparing some of my younger teammates today who are seeing amazing success right now, which is just unbelievable. I mean, they're producing at a level that, that's higher than I did in my prime mm. because of the strength of this economy and the technological advantages that we have. But I'm cautioning them to think about this not as the sprint that we would think of as a career. And by the way, about 52% of the millennials, they don't know the phrase company loyalty. Mm. And about 43% say that they'll be leaving within two years of mm-hmm. their company. Those are those are concerns that I have about a generation. And it may tie into your candy crush, the, the affirmation, mm-hmm. um, the, the ADD component of that. Right. I'm trying to explain to them, don't you want to be like me 30 years from now? And look back and say, wow, what a wonderful career. Mm-hmm. And the motivation can't be about money in the wrong sense. It can be about money in the competitive sense. Right. Um, but the three reasons that I've stayed at my firm all these years is I really think what we do is pretty cool and we get paid mm-hmm. to do it. That's the first thing. The second thing is, can I make a reasonable living for my family? The answer mm-hmm. has been yes. Well, more than yes. But that third component is I love the individual people that I work with every single day. And those that I haven't loved because they weren't lovable, <laughs> they've left. <laughs> right, yeah. The, the, what would you say you're most uh, proud of? What accomplishment have you achieved that you look back on and you say, wow. I mean, and you, and, and, uh, that makes me sound like and now you're retiring. That, that's, not, that's not what that's not what that's meant to do. But like so far, like you know, what what is something that you've done that you're really really proud you did? You know, I would just say being able to stay at one company is in itself, as we know today, an unusual thing. And so, I think that's just a blessing that I can't say enough about. Um, I can't tell you that I've made 
more money than anybody else. There are people who make abundantly more than me, even mm-hmm. in my own company today. Um, there's something about going into management that actually you get an artificial cap on your income. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of didn't understand that until I got into management and then it hit me. Um, I, I would, let's, let's do this rather than look at it from a pride perspective. Let's just took a look at it from the perspective of what would I hope that people would say about me years later. Yeah. And what I would hope they would say about me is, is that I never once, um, was bothered by, can you help me on this? Um, I was always willing to share what I know to be true and right from a perspective of how I live, but also what we do as a company and how we Mm -hmm. do the business. So someone who is very willing to listen to personal problems, work problems, and then someone who's very willing to help through my network of people, help other people grow, achieve, Mm -hmm. even if it means they need to leave who we are as a company and and go do something else. Um, Those are all remembrances or legacies that I would, I would hope would be mm-hmm. said about me. Maybe the final thing is is that um, if my name were mentioned in a conversation, that the that the only thing that would come out of that from a character perspective is is that I was a truthful man, mm-hmm. yeah. and that I didn't compromise what I believe in, and I stayed focused on what I know to be truth. Hmm. And those are things that are more important to me right. than houses, cars, vacations. Um, and the rest of that. Very, very good. So, Steve, I like to finish up every interview with the uh, the question that's the moniker of the whole podcast, which is, Steve Hall, what's the big deal about Greenville? Wow, that's a question that has so many answers. Um, as we talked, having come here in the 1973-74 time period, uh, the, the truth is I live downtown Greenville, not in, in Main Street area, but North Main. And so I'm, I'm on the outer edge of, of the immediate downtown and have lived in that neighborhood for years and years and years. But growing up as a child here, none of us went downtown. Mm-hmm. It was not possible because it was not safe. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I remember in the 1980s when the Hyatt Regency first was built downtown and all mm-hmm. of a sudden... It was a game changer. I was in high school in the early 80s at that point. Um, But the amount of growth that we have been through as a community for the last 15 years Mm -hmm. is staggering. I travel a fair amount on behalf of our firm, meet with clients. I sit on boards. Um, We have offices in other locations. And anytime that I mention I'm from Greenville, even when I'm down in Charleston or Columbia, it's really interesting to hear people say, wow, Greenville is just amazing. And so, and yeah, that Greenville, Greenville, South right, Carolina, yeah, Greenville. <laughs> right? Because there's a Greenville in every state. As right. I, as yeah, I you got to remember that. It's Greenville, South Carolina. Um, the downtown revitalization has been the key component to visually changing who we are. Mm-hmm. The eclectic community that we have here with the international uh, emphasis you know what? I, I'm not sure what the exact number is, but well over 130 um, countries or companies. I, I can't remember the stat, but it's it's significant. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so cool because we've got so many different varieties of backgrounds and ethnicities to pull from. Um, 
this is a community that is heavily trafficked with faith. And so for mm-hmm. me personally, that, that works. I love that. Not everybody here would, would say that that's important to them. And uh, I, I'm hopeful that they're welcomed regardless of that. Um, everything that people say about the schools in our state sometimes is really kind of a bad rap. It's not totally fair or true. There are some ill-performing schools in our state, but I can say here in the Greenville County area in the upstate, um, we've got a great school system mm-hmm. on the public side, and we have a plethora of options on the private side. So there's a way to be educated, uh, depending on what your financial desires are or what your what your own personal desires are for your family. Mm-hmm. Um, I just this is just an amazing place. It's become an amazing place. It wasn't always an amazing place. Yeah. And it's interesting to see where it, how it's come. Yeah, yeah, how far I, it's come. I mean, it's just it's just remarkable, and I'm so happy that we have people coming here. I will tell you honestly, because I travel to Nashville a good bit uh, and Atlanta. I hope we don't become that. I mean, mm. I love that we have people coming here, right. but I'm a little uncomfortable with the fact that it's going to change the DNA of who we are as a community mm-hmm. by by the fact that we have more people coming. But that'll all work itself out. Yeah. Thanks so much, Steve. I really appreciate you coming in and giving your time to us. It's, it's been a great it's been a great talk. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. The podcast is written and produced by me, Bill Kammer, and in addition to the show, I'm also a realtor. If you're interested in buying or selling a home in the Greenville area, contact me at WKAMMER at theparkercompanyre.com or visit my website at bill.parkergroupsales.com. What's the Big Deal About Greenville is recorded at The Parker Group, a boutique, full-service real estate company specializing in downtown Greenville. We offer residential and commercial real estate services, property management, and development consulting. Visit The Parker Group at parkergroupservices.com. We are located next to The Commons, a food hall that artfully blends culture and community to encourage active engagement between business, people, and place. The Commons, united by community, committed to craft. Visit commonsgvl.com for more information. Information about my guests is located in the show notes or on What's the Big Deal About Greenville website at thebigdealgreenville.transistor.fm. You can also like the show on Facebook or Instagram at thebigdealgreenville. Also on Twitter at thebigdealgvl. A big shout-out to Corey Godby for designing my artwork. Music is licensed by Storyblocks Audio. If you would like to have your business spotlighted or would like to hear about a local business or personality, email me at thebigdealgreenville at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, y'all.